Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Want to make 2017 your best year ever? Then let me be your teacher, your mentor. I've prepared special courses and webinars for you that will help you succeed and to give you access directly to me. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today. You have nothing to lose. Try me for 30 days and if you aren't satisfied, I guarantee you a full refund, no questions asked. Don't go it alone. Let me be your guide at mojouniversity.com. Be successful today. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce today my special guest, Mr. Stephen Kotler. Now, Stephen is the co-author of Stealing Fire, How Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick Scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. Stephen is a New York Times bestselling author, award-winning journalist, and the co-founder and director of research for the Flow Genome Projects. His books include Tomorrowland, Bold, The Rise of Superman, Abundance, A Small Furry Prayer, West of Jesus, and The Angle Quickest for Flight. His work's been translated into 40 languages, and his articles have appeared in over 80 publications. Welcome, Stephen. Uh, it sounds like you've been a very busy guy. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun lately. I would say that. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to learning more about uh, stealing fire. But before we do that, uh, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of just work? So. I don't make a very clear separation between work and play. Uh, I've sort of tried to do my best to like build my life so they overlap a lot. And mm-hmm. the thing that I like, I'm getting out of bed, really excited. I'm writing my first novel in 19 years. I was trained as a novelist, believe it or not, way back when. Like, but that's my you know graduate education is in fiction writing, and uh, I you know wrote one novel, had a, had uh, and then switched into nonfiction for eight books. And, or seven books, and am you know jumping back in for the first time in 19 years, and it's really fun. Oh, that sounds like fun! Uh, congratulations on all your success and all of the books you've written. It's really awesome, and I'm really interested in learning more about Stealing Fire. So, uh, it, from my, uh, just an overview standpoint, uh, why don't you share with our listeners what the real overriding purpose for Stealing Fire is, and what does it cover? Sure. It's a great question. Good place to start. Stephen Fire uh, examines uh, kind of a trillion-dollar underground revolution in people 
hacking consciousness to significantly improve performance. And it grew, up, grew out of the research that we do at the Flow Genome Project where we study um, flow states, right, those peak performance states. Flow has a kind of a really long history, 150 50 years worth of science of kind of really helping people improve very specific aspects of performance, but a lot of, lot of research there. But kind of in our, you know, in our research into flow and in our training, working with kind of top performing organizations around the country, we started to realize that, you know, the executives we were, we were meet, bumping into were not just kind of chasing flow states to kind of improve performance, but they were interested in a lot of different kind of methodologies for getting into for altering consciousness and you know from kind of meditation to technologically mediated states to you know people stacking neurotropics to alter consciousness and improve performance to uh, microdosing with psychedelics to improve performance. It was really kind of a, a wide swattering. It was everywhere we looked, and we were trying to figure out what the heck are we looking at, right? With the very fact that we were training you know mainstream business companies in flow, which is you know it's an altered state of consciousness. Um, seemed really strange to us, and yet everywhere we went, the executives we were bumping into were using all these other techniques, not just flow, and, you know, that's what caught our attention, and that's sort of where Stealing Fire started. Well, uh, as we dive into this a little bit more, why don't, uh, for those of us that maybe are not familiar with flow, tell us what that actually means in, you know, simple terms. Of course. Um, so, and, and everybody has some familiarity uh, to the terminology that may be a little weird. Flow is technically defined as an optimal state of consciousness, a state of consciousness where we feel our best, we perform our best. And you may call it runner's high or being in the zone or being unconscious, but it refers to those moments of kind of total rapt attention where you get so focused on the task at hand that everything else just disappears. So your action awareness will start to merge, your sense of self will vanish, time will pass strangely, it'll slow down, occasionally you'll get a freeze frame effect from anybody who's been in a car crash or more frequently it speeds up and, you know, a whole afternoon slips by, you know, in what feels like the blink of an eye. And throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, sort of go through the roof. Very cool. Well, uh, you know, I think all of us would hope that we could get to that point at some point. Uh, and, and I know that you've actually researched uh, this from a number of different forces. Uh, so things like uh, psychology, neurobiology, technology, and pharmacology. Uh, tell us why this research really has such a, uh, a I guess, a large, <laughs> if you call trillion, multi-trillion dollar impact on business. Why would it have such a huge impact on business? So... There's about three different questions tucked in there, so let me take them one at a time. Good. Um, I like first, cramming them all the, in at once. The, <laughs> it's not a bad way to go, um, but it helps to unpack them. The first thing you need to know is um, there's been a lot of progress. Neurobiology, neuroscience, has been advancing very, very quickly over the past 10 years thanks to advances in brain imaging and whatnot. So for the very first time, we're able to look under the hood of kind of flow states and other kind of interesting altered states of consciousness. And what we've discovered is this kind of random assortment, seemingly random assortment of ways people are hacking consciousness, there's a, they share remarkable neurobiological overlap. So whether you're looking at kind of meditative states or flow states or psychedelic states or states of awe or contemplative states or even some of the mystical states like trans states, speaking in tongues, that sort of thing, what's going on in the brain, the knobs and levers being tweaked in, in, in kind of all these experiences, they're very, very similar. And the experiences they produce as a result 
are very, very similar. And what we've discovered is that all of these experiences produced four phenomenological how they make us feel impacts, right? And in the, mm-hmm. for understanding the impact on, on business, it's helpful to unpack kind of the way these states of consciousness make us feel and what they do. So the first thing they do is they take away our sense of self. This is a big deal. They do this by kind of turning off the specific regions in the brain that generate the sense of self. When your self goes away, your inner critic, that's kind of nagging always on defeatist voice in your head, goes quiet. As a result, risk-taking goes up. Really critical for entrepreneurship, innovation, business across the boards. Creativity, right, because we're no longer doubting all of our, all our good ideas so heavily, goes up. We experience this as kind of a sense of, of liberation, freedom. We're actually getting out of our own way. We also experience a sense of timelessness. This happens because the parts of the brain that normally calculate time are shut down. And as a result, past, present, and future sort of blend together into what researchers call the deep now, right, an elongated present. Again, very big impact on performance. A lot of our fears reside in the past. They're horrible things that, that happen and we'd like to avoid happening again. Or in the future, things we're trying to steer around. When, they, when they, this, this goes away, anxiety drops considerably, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we calm down. And if you think about, like, the number one cause of stress right now is, is a shortage of time. We all feel rushed for time, so we, like, we have room to breathe. We also gain a sense of effortlessness, which, you know, if I were to put it really simply, I would just say intrinsic motivation goes through the roof. For example, McKinsey did a 10-year study of top executives in flow and found they, they reported being 500% more productive. That's the impact of motivation we're talking about. And lastly, all of kind of the, the neurochemicals produced in flow, they, they do a lot of performance-enhancing things, but the most fundamental is they surround all of the brain's information processing machinery. So as a result, we see big spikes in creative problem-solving, high-speed decision-making, um, Wicked problem solving, so not just our ability to solve kind of simple binary challenges, but you know, top executives in today's world are often faced with you know so-called wicked problems where there are no obvious solutions. Where what's required is sort of changing the channel on normal consciousness, getting a wider perspective, and so lots of impacts there. Lots of impacts on collaboration, cooperation, really kind of key 21st century skills. The skills we need to thrive in this century are amplified by uh, this heightened information processing. We get greater access to insight information. We take in more information per second. Pattern recognition goes up, all kinds of neat stuff. Very cool. And uh, would you equate that to uh, maybe an athlete that happens to be really uh, totally unaware of anything else going on around them and they're just in that moment? Yeah, it's the exact same state of consciousness. I mean, that's, you know, what... Our research has revealed, and I've sort of spent 30 years doing this, is peak performance is a signature, right? It, it, it doesn't matter what domain you're in, whether you're talking about right. athletes right. on a basketball court, you know, businessmen in a boardroom, Navy SEALs in the field, like everywhere you look, uh, ultimate human performance, what it takes to be our best when it matters most, has, has a signature. and It's this kind of same neurobiological signature we see in flow in these other states of consciousness. Well, you, you mentioned Navy SEALs, and one thing that intrigued me is that uh, the uh, the seals use some of these techniques in order to learn different languages in a much shorter period of time than the average, don't they? Yeah. Um, so 
one of the things that's happening is you mentioned kind of the four forces, right? We technology being another one, and, and these right. four forces: psychology, biology, technology, and pharmacology. They're literally just the four domains of research that surround kind of non-ordinary states of consciousness. So as all of these domains are becoming information technologies, which means they're jumping on the backs of Moore's law. They're accelerating as quickly, sometimes faster than our computers are. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result, we're gaining, you know, all kinds of insights. We can kind of map and measure what's going on in our, in our, in our brains and our bodies with much more precision. We can trigger these states on demand. Um, and a great example is, and we're blend, and, and a great example is what the SEALs are doing. They have blended kind of isolation float tanks. And if you want to turn off the self, one of the ways to do it is you reduce all the inputs coming into the brain. So in an isolation float tank, you float in body temperature water, so you, you basically feel like you're floating on air in a pod that is pitch black and soundproof, and there's no smell. So you're cut off. Your senses are cut off. They were developed in the 60s as a kind of non-pharmacological way to study altered states of consciousness. And, you know, the hippies sort of claimed them, and nobody's really paid attention to them for 30 years. But the SEALs realized that if you take these tanks and you add in heart rate variability monitors, uh, cardiac coherence monitors, brainwave monitors, and other things, you can start using them for, for really interesting things. One of the things they're doing, is they're using them for recovery. They're helping, you know, the SEALs can be deployed, you know, all over the world, five different theaters of battle in any given year, um, and they have to recover from these missions very, very quickly. So they can speed their recovery in the tanks by putting them, using it to put these into altered state of consciousness. But they also discovered that they can use them to accelerate learning. And they have found that, you know, SEALs need to speak foreign languages. They're deployed into foreign countries and sometimes behind enemy lines, and they have to be able to kind of understand what's going on around them. And the best that they could ever do with top operators is about six months in in an intensive language school. And they found that by using the tanks and kind of feeding in... uh, uh, foreign languages after they put use the tanks to put the seals into kind of peak learning states, mm-hmm. they could cut it down to about six weeks to get them functional, which was really cool. Um, I haven't seen a lot of follow up on this. A lot of people have asked, and I haven't seen um, a ton of follow up on this stuff yet. Um, but I think uh, I think it's coming. Yeah, I, I, I'm certain that uh, the more we research all of the uh, the things that are really going on in our brain, the more information we'll have. Uh, there, there's uh, been a common thing. People call it brain hacking. Uh, and I, I don't think that brain hacking really means much yet today. Uh, in, in Based on your research, what are we really talking about or when we say that somebody is an expert in brain hacking? Yeah, I, I, that's an open question. Um, I, you know, I, and I don't know, but what I, what I can tell you, what, what the research into flow has, has taught us is that, um, when you kind of tune the body and the brain correctly using a whole bunch of different things, you can use meditation, you can use yoga, you can, you know, use breathing, respiration, you can use technological interventions or pharmacological interventions, but we gain, when we gain cognitive literacy, we understand what's going on in our brains, and we understand how to tune our brains into peak learning states, mm-hmm. um, peak performance states, we can, you know, the improvements can be significant, and um, there's a lot of responsibility going this route, right? This is not mm-hmm. self-help. Um, these are tricky states. 
there are downsides, there are cautions, and one of the reasons, you know, brain hacking implies, and this is not my language, I, uh, there's this guy named Mike Gervais, high-performance psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks, good friend, he's on the board of the Flow Genome Project, um, and he doesn't like the term brain hacking because it implies a shortcut, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I tend, to, tend to, you can accelerate a lot of things with these states, but it's not a shortcut, like you don't, you never get out of doing the work, right? It is just in you kind of smooth the way through the work, perhaps, and get more done in less time and with far greater efficiency. But you know, it also requires a lot of emotional control and a lot of you know wisdom along the way. So you know, brain hacking implies that like you can take a limitless pill and suddenly you're going to be super smart, and it, that's yeah, not what yeah, we've seen, yeah. right? What yeah. we've seen is you you have to really you know you have to what the seals do, and they're among the best at this stuff, is, I mean, they train it endlessly and ceaselessly and relentlessly, and they invest massive amounts of money. And the organizations, Google, for example, who we've worked with, um, who are really good at this, they do the same. Um, and it really, like, it's interesting because brain hacking implies, hey, there's a shortcut, and what we've actually seen is the organizations that are really good at this deeply commit to it and make the time for it and you know it's counterintuitive right like a lot of these states often strike us as decadent as playful right it's not business as usual but what we found is you know going this route you get you know farther faster but it's not the normal way of doing business but it is what high performance looks like today very interesting. I, and I brought it up because I think uh, too many times people really are looking uh, for shortcuts to high performance and they overlook the intense work that's required in order to get your, your, uh, your mind and your body and everything all coordinated together where you really do have that ability to focus. Uh, and it seems to me that training is essential no matter what you do. Yeah, and nobody can do your push-ups for you. It's one of the mod- like we, one of the couple of things. The other thing with brain hacking often gets implied is that one size fits all. That yeah. this particular technique or intervention is going to work for you. And let me let me just explain it. Out of our research, we've discovered that flow states have triggers. These are preconditions that lead to more flow. Top performers have sort of built their lives and their careers around these triggers. But your triggers, which ones are going to work best for you? First of all. They're going to be very different from mine. Second of all, they're going to change over time. There's a nature and a nurture component, and these are living systems. So, you know, we live and die by the motto, conduct the experiment. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You've got, you got to do the work yourself. There's no, there isn't one size fits all. I go into, you know, I go into meetings with companies, and they're like, okay, give me three things we can do Monday morning. And, <laughs> I mean, yes, I can give you three things that you can do Monday morning, and they're going to make a difference. But here's the thing. You've got to do them Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know what I mean? And repeat and repeat and repeat. And, and then you have to build on those things. Um, if you want to, you know, keep progressing further, it just, it, it you know, it, there's very, and you can get short-term results. I mean, the crazy, you know, research out of the University of North Carolina found four days of 20-minute mantra meditation. So 44% of American companies are rolling out mindfulness programs this year, and as little as four days of training has been shown to 
significantly decrease anxiety and lead to, you know, heightened cognitive performance, decision-making, and creative problem-solving. So you can get results fairly quickly, right? Sustaining those results over time, actually becoming the kind of person who has an integrated mindfulness practice and is part of how they do business on a daily basis, it's foundational. That's a very different story. And I mean, I'll tell you firsthand, right? Like, we train people on this. We teach people on this. I have, you know, been working with these various mindfulness techniques for 20 years. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on for six months. I'm off for three. I'm sort of wobbly for two. I'm back on for four months. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's where I'm at. It, none of this is easy. And, 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 I'm, and I'm good at this. Right. I get it. Uh, I, I think that... Uh... You know, so many times we're looking for shortcuts to hard work, and we we tend to get lazy, uh, and uh, therefore we don't really find ourselves in peak performance very often anyway. Uh, And if we can actually develop these good habits, these good thought processes, and understand what's going on, maybe more of us could get there more often. That's exactly, um, and by the way, here's, here's the crazy part. So we did a six-week joint learning project with Google about a year and a mm-hmm. half ago. We, it, was a, it was a hand-picked team, a uh, self-selected team of about 60 participants from Google, everyone from sales and marketing through coders and engineers, um, and working with four high-performance basics and uh, four uh, flow triggers over the course of six weeks, um, basically about an hour's worth of training a day, spread out throughout the day, so it wasn't a block time, but about an hour's commitment a day per, per uh, employee, we saw about a 71% increase in incidences of flow, uh, accelerated learning, better, better decision-making, and, and a couple other really key metrics. So this stuff is very, very trainable at this point. Um, now, here's a question. Are we, was that a, just a peak spike that we saw at the end of a training? Is it going to sustain over time? Open question, right? We still don't know. We have some indications that it does sustain over time, but nothing that I'm going to you know, claim on your show. So there are open questions around this, um, but we are seeing for sure you know, a big spike after a six-week training. We're seeing something similar with, uh, if you go to uh, the Flow Genome Project website, we've got an online training um, that's, again, six weeks long, it's digitally delivered, and we're, we're seeing similar results. By the way, I misquoted you. Google was a 35 to 80% increase in flow. Uh, 71% is what we're seeing from Flow Fundamentals, the online course. Sorry, I, I got that backwards. It sounded wrong when it came out, and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> no, no worries. And uh, I know that uh, people will want to know more about that particular program. Why don't you share how they can find it online? Sure. Um, so couple of resources for you guys. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Flow's triggers, if you go to stephenkotler.com, sign up for my email newsletter, uh, you'll get a PDF download that's free that breaks down all the triggers and kind of how to apply them across the board. Uh, this is some of the stuff I covered more in depth in my book, Bold, um, but it, it's there. If you go to the Flow Genome Project, there's two things there that you should know about. The first is there's a free Flow Profile. So Flow Genome Project is F-L-O-W-G-E-N-O-M-E project.com. Profile is a flow diagnostic. It says if you're this kind of person, you're likely to find flow in these directions. So it gives everybody you know, a place to start this work you know, on their own. And if you want to go deeper, uh, we have on, uh, offer a bunch of different trainings, but the one I was talking about was Flow Fundamentals. Flow Fundamentals. Okay. 
So, uh, and for those of you that happen to be exercising right now, we will, as always, we will include links uh, to the sites uh, that Stephen has given us to make it easy for you to find it. Yeah, the uh, one other thing you need to know about is uh, to know more about stealing fire, kind of, you know, a lot of different bits about the research, what's in the book, um, what you can expect, all that stuff, uh, stealingfire dot, uh, stealingfirebook.com. Stealingfirebook.com. All right. Well, that's yep. uh, three different sites, and we'll make sure that we put all all of those in the, the show notes for you. Uh, as we kind of, uh, I know we just simply don't have enough time to go into a deep dive in all of the books. So I want to encourage everybody to get their own copy and really do the research. Figure out uh, yourself how you can apply this in your own business. Uh, what would be uh, a, a couple of recommendations that you would give, Stephen, to people that are seriously considering learning more about how they can get these types of improvements in their business? What are some things that you would encourage them with? Well, a couple of you know, really simple foundational basics. One, um, you really need to start uh, learning how to kind of gain some control over your nervous system. A lot of these peak states are blocked by anxiety, and research shows that 21st century normal is tired, wired, and chronically stressed. Our brain wave, our brains are producing norepinephrine and cortisol stress hormones all the time. These block, the, you know, it screws up focus, it shuts down our ability to really problem solve creatively, it, it, it's really detrimental to performance, and makes us sick, and, you know, makes us unhappy, et cetera, et cetera easiest way to downregulate a nervous system is through respiration. If you, if your exhale is twice as long as your inhale and a minimum of seven or eight seconds long, so it's a four-second, five-second inhale, eight to ten-second exhale, you do that for three to five rounds, your brain goes, oh, look, long exhales, you must be calm. I'm not going to waste any more energy producing norepinephrine and cortisol because that's expensive. Let's save that energy and use it for focus or something else, and you calm down pretty automatically. So that's a very simple trick that is worth deploying all the time. I like to I like to do three to five rounds of that. Like as I'm transitioning from my writing period as, a, as being an author first thing in the morning into mm-hmm. I got to go into a meeting. I gotta I gotta make some phone calls. I have to you know get on a get on TV and talk to people. I like to sort of sort of cl- close you know just calm everything back down, reset to normal, go into the next thing, find myself very much more effective, much more ready to focus, and a smoother transition. So that's, that's tip A. I'll give you a second one that I think is very critical. One of the things all these states require is uninterrupted concentration. So when we work with individuals and organizations, one of the first things we talk about is find, if you can, 90 to 120-minute blocks. That's preferably first thing in the morning. Can't do it at work do it before work, where, of where you can really focus on the hardest tasks of the day. You've got to turn off your email. You've got to turn off your cell phone, no messages, no social media. One of the reasons it's useful to do it first thing in the morning is if you can remember to shut all those things down before you know, the previous day ends, you don't want you know, social media, you tend to start reacting emotionally to stuff. It's other people clogging your inbox with their needs, right? And you want to stay focused on, on what's important to you first thing in the morning. We go into organizations, you know, 
we basically, you know, tell them that they can't hang a sign on the door that says, F blank, uh, you're flowing. Um, <laughs> F, off, F off, you're flowing, right? You're screwed. Like, you really are. Like, it's honest to God, like, it's just really fundamental. So, like, a lot of organizations are crippling themselves with these rules, like, every message needs to reply, be replied to in 15 minutes, an email needs to be replied to within an hour those kind of constraints, while you think you're being efficient, you're actually blocking the high-performance states you need to maximize efficiency. So while you know, there may be certain hours of the day where that kind of responsiveness is necessary, the exact opposite is also necessary if you really want a high-performing you know, workforce. Those are two phenomenal tips, Stephen, and I, I know uh, we all can, can learn from both of those and should put them into practice. Uh, I, I want to thank our guest, Stephen Kotler. Uh, he's the co-author of Stealing Fire, How Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick Scientists are Revolutionizing the Way We Live and Work. This is absolutely a, a book worth reading and studying and figuring out how you can implement d- these various techniques Stephen has mentioned today in your own business. Stephen, thank you for sharing your wisdom and insight today, and we wish you continued success in not only Stealing Fire, but also in this new upcoming novel that you're writing. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. Steve here, and one last reminder. I want to thank you for listening to the show, and I want to encourage you, go over to mojouniversity.com. Before you forget it, make sure you sign up for our training site, and let me be your teacher this year. I promise you, you're going to be successful. You're going to love it. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today.